This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 217 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Our guest this week is Ryan Narine. He's the creator and publisher of Security Conversations, a vendor-neutral publication covering the business of cybersecurity through the lens of a veteran journalist and storyteller with a focus on the business trends driving decisions for CEOs, CISOs, and engineering decision makers. We'll learn how Ryan helps bridge the gap between well-intentioned CISOs doing their best to keep their organizations safe and secure and cybersecurity vendors trying to cut through the marketing noise and hype. Stay with us. I became a security journalist by accident around the year 2000, 2001, uh, just at the height of the era of the Microsoft Windows worm attacks. I was the youngest person in the at New York internetnews.com newsroom. And by virtue of being the rookie, cybersecurity beat was handed to me because at the time it was considered boring and and, uh, not very interesting. Uh, And then it became the hottest beat and became one of the primary topics of conversation in computing. And I just uh, ended up being a security writer over the years. I transitioned over to the vendor side, uh, managed a threat research team at Kaspersky. Um, It's a lot of APT threat research there. Uh, before moving on to Intel to help with security strategy, and now back to my journalism roots, doing uh, you know writing and doing news analysis on security, cybersecurity events and incidents at Security Week. When you were coming up, I mean, was was technology something that you were interested in, or was the the journalism side of things the primary driver for you? The journalism side of things was the primary driver. I wanted to be a sports journalist. I knew I wanted to be a journalist as a kid, so. Uh, in, in high school, for example, I took typewriting classes when no one mm. took typewriting classes. It was just a thing. I wanted to be a journalist as a kid. Technology reporting happened by chance. It was it was a job, a means to an end. Uh, and then cybersecurity became a beat again by accident. And, and uh, you know, I, I fell in love with it. And, and it's been my life for the last 20 years. And so what is your day to day like these days? What keeps you busy at work? Uh, I spend a lot of time communicating cybersecurity from buyers to sellers and from sellers to buyers and help each other understand, help, help each side understand each other. Uh, on one side, there's a lot, there's a heavy hype cycle with, uh, you know, a lot of venture capital funded startups, you know, really making a lot of noise, trying to attract attention and trying to gain traction in this industry. On the other side, they're overwhelmed CISOs who are just busy putting out fires and trying to build their security programs, being inundated with constant banging at let me solve your security problems. And I kind of sit in the middle there trying to help CISOs filter through what is noise and nonsense. And on the buyers and on the seller side, helping cybersecurity sellers button up their messages and their languages so that they are piercing through all this noise and chaos in cybersecurity today. So my day-to-day is, is, is tracking threats, tracking threats at a real level so that I can communicate with CISOs and, and enterprise defenders about the things they should pay, be paying attention to. If they chase every headline, especially today with all the ransomware epidemic, if you go around chasing every headline, you'll be putting out fires and not be focusing on the right things. So I spend a lot of time tracking online uh, malicious activity 
translating that into like real actionable intelligence and guidance for for my readers and my audience on both sides. So it's 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 and it's been pretty hectic and interesting. Yeah, there's ne- never a dull moment in cybersecurity these days, is there? Hundred percent. I mean, I was just looking at data today. Today is Patch Tuesday, for instance. We're recording on July thirteenth. It's Patch Tuesday. Microsoft has already dropped a big mega patch bundle with a hundred with patches for one hundred and seventeen security vulnerabilities. An hour ago, Adobe dropped a batch of patches with you know fixes for twenty nine security vulnerabilities. There's going to be an Apple and a bunch of vendors dropping patches today. Like if you're in cybersecurity, there's no rest whatsoever, and that's just trying to stay on top of patches and trying to get your fixes implemented. That's not counting the volume of data breaches, the just sheer losses from ransomware incidents and attacks, downstream incidents from ransomware incidents that have like real world consequences. So, I mean, when you say there isn't a, a, a quiet moment, you're not, you're not exaggerating at all. Yeah. Can you give us some insights with the CISOs that you deal with? Uh, you know, what is their reality? Is is there, as you mentioned, they're doing their jobs trying to put out fires. What is the kind of inbound information that they're getting from vendors? Oof. Well, like I mentioned, it's noise. It's a lot of noise. There's a Black Hat conference coming up at the end of this month. Uh, you know, there'll be a big trade show with every vendor promising to solve every problem for every security program. Uh, you know, supply chain and S-bombs and new new requirements coming out of the U.S. government's mandates are driving all kinds of more noise into CISOs programs. What I'm hearing from CISOs is, listen, I have to focus on five, six foundational fundamental things within my security program. And if I get distracted by all this noise and breaches and, and vendors chasing me, it reduces me and my team's ability to implement a modern, you know, uh, robust security programs. I want to focus on making sure I have multi-factor authentication implemented throughout my organization. I want to focus on how am I patching all these things? What is my asset management, asset discovery program? And how am I, you know, realistically know what needs to be patched and applying those patches? So a patch management program. How do I deal with phishing, which is kind of the primary exploitation vector for a lot of the malware activity we are seeing? How do I deal with user education and stop people from clicking on things? Right, right. There are five, six very fun, fundamental, foundational things that CISOs are focused on building into their security programs. That it's easy for them to get distracted by all this noise. And what you, what I do find is that the 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 CISO who has a bead on things and has a mature, modern security program in place. He's the guy who is, it's very easy for him to pinpoint where noise and FUD and, you know, vendor driven activity, distracting activity comes from versus knowing which sets of products and technologies and tools and procedures I need to fill certain gaps in my organization. And I'm stressing that to a lot of vendors and and guys who are selling into cybersecurity is understand where you fit within these basic foundational things. And when you're talking to CISOs and you're talking to enterprise defenders about, you know, your product or your tool to help them defend, understand where you fit instead of introducing a new problem or a new set of things that needs to get resources from the program. So, you know, there's a lot of give and take and a lot of push and pull there. And, and it's pretty easy to pinpoint which security program is, is, is mature based on how they respond to all this noise in the industry. What about from the folks who are out there doing the marketing? You know, people who have 
products they want to try to spread the word about, how do they pierce through that noise when everybody is screaming at the top of their lungs that they have the greatest thing that's going to you know totally rock your world? How do you break through that? Oh, well, it depends. Well, to be frank, I mean, there there's a lot of I want I want to be as kind as possible. But to be frank, there are a lot of nonsense products that don't really belong in cybersecurity today. There's a lot of, and it's not only the messaging, it's the actual products. Products that introduce more risk than, than they solve problems, you know. But all these new technologies comes with a new agent. No one, has, no one knows whether they've been properly pen tested. What is the security profile of that agent that you're installing in your network? And a lot of times you're introducing a lot more risk than you're solving a problem. In, in the cloud, in this multi-cloud environment, every time you spin up something, you have all kinds of permissions and, and deployment configuration issues. Or How uh, am I introducing more risk by buying this security product? So there's a lot of that problem to solve. From the seller's perspective, I think it's very important to understand that the modern buyer is a lot more sophisticated. He's a lot more educated and he's a lot more keen and connected to his peers in their private Slack channels and, and, and private subgroups that they're able to share price lists and discuss your product and discuss you and your competitors and discuss your fit and so on. So a lot of this conversation is already happening. And I encourage folks to try to avoid the, the, the FUD and the fear and uncertainty and trying to scare vendors, scare buyers into buying things. And rather try to connect the CISOs at more of a direct person-to-person level and understand where his gaps are and understand how you can fit your message into where their gaps are. Otherwise, you're, you're, there's a lot of marketing dollar being spent on big, giant, splashy boats. And there's just no way to penetrate that when, when the CISO and the buyer has kind of cowered into these private Slack channels and cowered into their private ISAC groups to share information there just to avoid your marketing noise. So the, the, the faster you get used to that, the better for everyone. Do you think we're headed in the right direction there? Is word getting out that, uh, that if you want to effectively reach a CISO, this is how you do it? And, and you know, turn down the volume a little bit. Let's, let's have some straight talk here. It's not getting out, unfortunately. I mean, uh, if, I, if, if, if you look around, there's... Mm. There's, there's, there are marketing teams purchasing awards to put logos on their websites uh, based on awards that they have won. And these are things that these are fake awards that people are just purchasing from publications that no one has ever heard of. Uh, you know, these, these are the kinds of lazy marketing things that passes today that I think it's, it, I think it's important, you know, for startup founders themselves, sellers themselves to understand how marketing departments are positioning you. Uh, purchasing fake awards, issuing uh, press releases for things you know nothing about. Um, just, you know, the marketing hype cycle of over-promoting and over-hyping vulnerabilities that have, you know, real-world risk that is almost zero. Just constantly over-hyping things, uh, 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 churning out headlines for every little breach or incident. You know, when everything is urgent, then nothing is urgent. And a lot mm. of the times that gets lost on, on a lot of sellers and marketers is, is the, the urge and the tendency to want to chase the urgent without realizing that you're slowly becoming, uh, uh, that, that your audience is becoming numb to it. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I, it's sad that it's not getting any better. And, you know, just the sheer volume of money and venture capital dollars pouring into cybersecurity with incredible demands on sales and marketing programs and sales and marketing teams to reach just, you know, unreasonable demands and sales demands. Unfortunately, we'll just continue to see more of this FUD and more of this noise and more of this, you know, dark part of, of cyber. Hmm. I have I a pessimistic your- approach to all of it, though. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I'm a, I'm a, I've been in this industry for so long, for 20 years. I've seen the ebbs and flows up and down all around. I've seen kind of like all the connections and all the folks who try to, you know, uh, pinpoint gaps and, and, and muddy the waters for all of us. So, you know, I go through these ebbs and flows of being super pessimistic about how things are. And at the same time, being super optimistic that the buyer is more sophisticated and the buyer is sharing information among themselves. And a lot of the times the, the cream kind of eventually rises to the top and the, the good products and the good services eventually bubble up and, 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 and make it into those conversations organically rather than having been driven by marketing. Well, I mean, it seems to me like it, to some extent, you know, some of the CISOs that you work with, they can... They can kind of outsource their own pessimism to you. You know, let 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 <laughs> let, let the products run through your filter, so you can you know deliver to them uh, just the things they need to know. Exactly, that, and and that's what I try to bring to the table is a kind of uh, honesty and straight talk with some empathy and understanding for what marketers have to deal with. Because, like I mentioned, if your company's just gotten twenty five million dollars in Series A or Series B funding. Right. And your 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 plan now is to go into growth mode. Everyone looks to the CMO and everyone looks to the chief sales guy and says, OK, we're in growth mode now. Go take go pour gasoline and let's burn. This. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. now the expectation on the marketers become unreasonable. And because of those unreasonable demands on the marketers, they go buy fake awards to put on their website. They go purchase advertising over hyping things. And and again, I, I try to have empathy for that. Uh, for that unreasonable demand that marketers are dealing with uh, in the midst of translating this from ICSOs is, is, is bringing a, le- a level of empathy that these guys have a job to do as well um, and, and, and trying to, you know, unmuddy that water, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I want to get your take on threat intelligence itself, uh, the part that you think threat intelligence plays in an organization's defensive posture. Threat intelligence needs to be properly defined. Again, this is again comes right into the conversation we were talking about. I go to the RSA show floor and I see 25 threat intelligence vendors. Well, what is threat intelligence? Is it a product? Is it a discipline? Is it a, a science? And in, in my view, it's more of a discipline and a science, a construct where people use the variety of data sources figure out your frameworks for adding context so that it's relevant for me and my program and like churning that the resources that goes into that into protecting my organization in whatever way, whether it's in detecting threats, whether it's going to hunt for things that's already might be there, whatever, whatever that is. In my mind, threat intelligence is that entire discipline of putting all of those together into something within your security program. So it's incredibly valuable. The CISOs know that they need this contextual threat intelligence or contextual data that will kind of pinpoint signs of problems within my organization. Uh, on the downside, there it's it's pretty expensive, and the value of the data is not as long lived as maybe it needs to be. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of strain and tax on security programs because threat intel can be an expensive thing. And then there's the issue of you know. 
Which threat intel data feed do I need to buy? Is one better than the other? Is the quality of one over the other? Or can I get away with the open feeds versus getting some proprietary feeds from specific vendors? There's a lot of things that go into what constitutes good threat intelligence within a security program. And I, and that's, a, and that again is why it's important for us to parse the language and, and figure out the communication. Because if you go to RSA, you'll be promised that there's one vendor that can plug something in and solve all your threat intelligence needs. And that doesn't exist, right? It's a discipline that, in, that, that requires use of proper tools, use of data, getting that data contextual, having the right people in place to respond to it, having everything in place. It's that entire discipline. I'm a big fan. I'm bullish on threat intelligence as a discipline. I think there, sh- there needs to be more investment and innovation in the threat intelligence space using RSS and using some more delivery mechanisms to get data to actionable data to, you know, the SOCs and security programs. So I'm, I'm bullish on that. Uh, but on the downside, I, I, I worry that, again, the marketers are muddying the water and ruining things for the rest of us. You know, it, it strikes me that... Um that you have taken what many would consider to be a non-traditional path into cybersecurity. And and as we are facing uh, this, this challenge of, of trying to find enough people to fill available positions, um, that's becoming more and more an important way for a way for organizations to find people to fill those positions. I was, I was wondering if you had some insights there, having having come up through journalism and now having expertise in cybersecurity. Um, any insights onto that side of things? I do. I, I I might give you a controversial answer. I don't believe we have a skills shortage at all. I think I don't think there's a cybersecurity skills shortage. I think we have a problem of recruiting. I think we have an HR understanding of the issue problem. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think we have a security programs have a tendency of just not even knowing how to write a job description properly, not even addressing different and, and non-traditional places of doing your recruiting. I spoke to Andy Ellis, he's a chief security, ex-chief security officer at Akamai, and he was able to get his security program, uh, get diversity and, and, and real quality people into his security program by, you know, trying to attract librarians, folks who are very good at documenting things and trying to find just recruiting in places for, you know, uh, the security program has needs across the board, whether it's storytelling, writing, documenting things, uh, visualizing even even things, simple things like video editing and audio editing belongs in a security program today because those are storytelling ways of describing threats within the organization, whether you use a video to describe the threat to the CEO. There's so many bits and pieces of skills that belong in cybersecurity that if a company is struggling to uh, attract the right type of talent to your security program, then I think it's not because we, the right talent isn't there. I think you just aren't. You just aren't looking properly and you aren't addressing the problem where it needs to be addressed. Uh, so whenever I hear people talk about cybersecurity skills shortage and, you know, how do we address skills shortage? I completely disagree that we have one. I think that we just need to find, you know, I interview a lot of folks who come out of varying backgrounds and they're now running phishing at Google or they're now running privacy and security here or they're running some, you know, security strategy at Intel and big organizations had no formal training in cybersecurity, does not have a CISSP, has never done a certification. But not only do they belong, they're excelling and they're, you know, producing high, high quality work, important work. So 
Uh, you know, I tell I tell CISOs all the time, pin it on your HR, force HR to go recruit in different places, force HR to learn to rewrite job descriptions. Understand if you're requiring uh, computer degrees, then understand that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're damaging the pool of talent, that you're shortening your access to the pool of talent. You know, simplify things. There's, there's a lot of ways to address it instead of sitting around grumbling about a skill shortage. Which it strikes me as well that um, a lot of organizations want to hire people who come in fully baked. You know, they're not willing to put in the time to bring someone up to speed. They don't want to hire truly entry level people and nurture them from within. Do, do you think there's anything to that? I mean, do, do you agree with that notion? I do. I do. There's a lot. We have rock star mentality in this industry where every, like, mm. for instance, every big vendor wants to have its own Project Zero because Google has Project Zero with these premium talented hackers. So every vendor wants their version of Project Zero. What do you think happens? They start recruiting and they start poaching talent from each other and they're looking for the cream of the crop, creme de la creme, 10x engineer type talent, right? So there's that. There's the glorification of the rock star in cybersecurity. Not yeah. realizing that in, in, in every meal, there's a piece of steak that is fantastic, but, you know, but it's the potatoes and the rest of the, the, the real bulk of the meal on the table are those additional folks in the trenches who are doing the work behind the scenes who may not, you know, have a black hat or a DEF CON keynote type presentation, but still have significant contributions to make to the program. And, you know, contributions to the program doesn't have to come in the, in the form of rock star headlines either. There's a lot of really fascinating work being done in the, in the, in the, in the dark that no one has ever heard of. You know, you, you, let me give you an example. You, I went to Walgreens two nights ago and I was able to pick up my phone, look at it, and the transaction was verified through biometrics and authentication and everything that just magically happened because I looked at my phone and I pointed it at a thing, right? There are... 50,000 engineers behind the scenes who built that, like did all the, you know, crypto acceleration on the CPU, did all the authentication work, got it into the browsers, got it into these payment systems, right? Who are those rock stars that built that? Nobody knows. So like this industry is lifted on the shoulders of folks in the darkness building amazing things. And we're chasing rock stars to give us headlines. And that's uh, to our industry's detriment. Our thanks to Ryan Narind for joining us. His publication is titled Security Conversations. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. 